Section 10 of the House of Arden. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sonja. The House of Arden by Edith Nesbitt. Chapter 8. Guy Fawkes. Part 1. Three days, because there had been a quarrel. But days pass quickly when the sun shines, and it is holiday time, and you have a big ruined castle to explore and examine, a castle that is your own, or your brother's. After all, said Elfrida sensibly, we might quite likely find the treasure ourselves, without any magic mouldy warp in us at all. We look thoroughly, we won't leave a stone unturned. We shall have to leave a good many stones unturned, said Edward, looked at the great grey mass of the keep that towered tall and frowning above them. "'Well, you know what I mean,' said Elfrida. "'Come on.' And they went. They climbed the steep, worn stairs that wound round and round in the darkness, stairs littered with dead leaves and mould and dropped feathers, and the dry, deserted nests of owls and jackdaws, stairs that ended suddenly in daylight and a steep last step, and the top of a broad, ivy-grown wall from which you could look down, down, down.' past the holes in the walls where the big beams used to be, past the old fireplace, still black with the smoke of fires long since burnt out, past the doors and windows of rooms whose floor fell away long ago, down, down, to where ferns and grass and brambles grew green at the very bottom of the tower. And then there were arched doors that led to colonnades with strong little pillars and narrow windows, wonderful little unexpected chambers and corners, the best place in the whole wide world for serious and energetic hide-and-seek. "'How glorious!' said Elfrida, as they rested, scarlet and panting, after a thrilling game of I spy. "'If all these broken bits were mended, so that you couldn't see where the new bits were stuck on, and if it could all be exactly like it was when it was brand new.' "'There wasn't the house when it was brand new. The house like it is now, I mean,' said Edward. I don't suppose there was any attic with chests in when the castle was new. There couldn't be, not with all the chests, said Elfrida. Of course not, because some of the clothes in the chest weren't made till long after the castle was built. I believe grown-ups can tell what a broken thing was like when it was new. I know they can with bones, mastodons and things. And they made out what Hercules was like out of one foot of him that they found, I believe. She added hazily. "'I've got an idea,' said Edward. "'If he could get back to where the castle was all perfect, like a model, "'and draw pictures of every part, "'then, when we found the treasure, "'we should know exactly what to build it up like, shouldn't we?' "'Yes,' said Elfrida very gently. "'We certainly should. "'But then we should have to know how to draw first, shouldn't we?' "'Of course we should,' Edward agreed. "'But that wouldn't take long if we really tried. "'I never do try at school. "'I don't like it.' "'But it's jolly easy, I know that. "'Wormslammy always takes the drawing prize, "'and you know what a duffer he is. "'We might begin to learn now, don't you think?' "'Elfrida sat down on a fallen stone "'in the middle of the castle-yard "'and looked at the intricate wonderful arches and pillars, "'the granulated battlements of the towers, "'the splendid stoutness of the walls, "'and she sighed. "'Yes,' she said, "'let's begin now.' "'And you'll have to lend me one of your pencils,' said he, "'because I broke mine all to bits trying to get the parlour door open "'the day you'd got the key in your pocket, 
Quite a long one it was. You'll have to lend me a long one, Elf. I can't draw with those little indie bits that get inside your hand and prick you with the other end. I don't mind, said she, so long as you don't put it in your mouth. So they got large sheets of writing paper and brown calf-bound books for the paper to lie flat on, and they started to draw Arden Castle. And as Elfrida tried to draw everything she knew was there, as well as everything she could see, her drawing soon became almost entirely covered with black lead. They had no India rubber, and if you drew anything wrong it had to stay drawn. When you first begin to draw, you draw a good many things wrong, don't you? I assure you that nobody would have known that the black and grey model on Elfrida's paper was meant to be a picture of a castle. Edwards was much more easily recognized, even before he printed Arden Castle, under it in large, uneven letters. He never once raised his eyes from his paper and just drew what he thought the front of the castle looked like from the outside. Also, he sucked his pencil earnestly, Elfrida's pencil, I mean, and this made the lines of his drawing very black. There, he said at last, it's ever so much liker than yours. Yes, said Elfrida, but there's more in mine. It doesn't matter how much there is in a picture if you can't tell what it's meant for, said Edward with some truth. Now in mine you can see the towers and the big gate and the windows and the twiddly in and outness on top. Yes, said Elfrida, but, well, let's do something else. I don't believe we should either of us learn to draw well enough to rebuild Arden by, not before we found the treasure, I mean. Perhaps we might meet a real artist, like the one we saw drawing the castle yesterday, in the past, I mean, and get him to draw it for us and bring the picture back with us, and... Oh, cried Edward, jumping up and dropping his masterpiece, and the calf-bound volume and the pencil. I know! The brownie! The brownie? Yes, take it with us. Then we could photograph the castle all perfect. But we can't take it with us. Can't we? said Edred. That's all you know. Now, I'll tell you something. That first time, a bit of plaster was in my shoe when we changed, and it was in my shoe when we got there, and I took it out when we were learning about Dog's Delight, and I flipped it out of the window, and when we got back, and I changed and everything, there was that bit of plaster in my own shoe. If we can take plaster, we can take photographs, cameras, I mean. This close and intelligent reasoning commanded Elfrida's respect, and she wished she had thought of it herself. But then she had not had any plaster in her shoe. So she said, You're getting quite clever, aren't you? Aha, said Edred, you'd like to have thought of that yourself, wouldn't you? I can be clever sometimes, same as you can. It is very annoying to have our thoughts read. Elfrida said swiftly, Not often you can't, and then stopped short. For a moment the children stood looking at each other with a very peculiar expression. Then a sigh of relief broke from each. Feel it, said Edred. Just in time, said Elfrida. It wasn't a quarrel. Nobody could say it was a quarrel. Come on, let's go and look at the cottages like the witch told us to. They went. They made a tour of inspecting that day and the next and the next and they saw a great many things that a grown-up inspector would never have seen. Poor people are very friendly and kind to you when you are a child. They will let you come into their houses and talk to you and show you things in a way that they would never condescend to do with your grown-up relations. 
This is, of course, if you are a really nice child, and treat them in a respectful and friendly way. Edred and Elfrida very soon knew more about the insides of the cottages round Arden than any grown-up could have learned in a year. They knew what wages the master of the house got, what there was for dinner, and what, oftener, there wasn't, how many children were still living, and how many had failed to live. They knew exactly where the rain came through the rotten thatch in bad weather, and where the boards didn't fit, and so let the drawers in, and how some of the doors wouldn't shut, some wouldn't open, and how the bedroom windows were, as often as not, not made to open at all. And when they weren't visiting the cottages or exploring the castle, they found a joyous way of passing the time in the reading aloud of the history of Arden. They took it in turns to read aloud. Elfrida looked carefully for some mention of Sir Edward Talbot and his pretending to be the Chevalier St. George. There was none, but a Sir Edward Talbot had been accused, with the Lord Arden of the time, of plotting against his most Christian Majesty King James I. "'I wonder if he was like my Edward Talbot,' said Elfrida. "'I would like to see him again. I wish I told him about us having been born so many years after he died. But it would have been difficult to explain, wouldn't it?' Let's look in Green's history book and see what they looked like when it was his most Christian majesty King James I. Perhaps it was this which decided the children, when the three days were over, to put on the clothes which most resembled the ones in the pictures of James I's time in Green's history. Edward had full breeches, puffed out little balloons, and a steeple crowned hat, and a sort of tunic of crimson velvet, and a big starched ruff round his little neck more uncomfortable even than your Eton collar is after you've been wearing flannels for days and days. And Elfrida had long tight stays, with a large, flat-shaped piece of wood down the front, and very full, long skirts over a very abrupt hoop. When the three days were over, the door of the attic, which as usual after a quarrel, had been quite invisible and impossible to find, had become as plain as the nose on the face of the plainest person you know, and the children had walked in and looked in the chests till they found what they wanted. And now they put on ruffs and all the rest of it to the accompaniment, or, as it always seemed, with the help of soft pigeon noises. While they were dressing, Elfrida had the brownie camera tightly, in one hand or the other. This made dressing rather slow and difficult, but the children had agreed that if it were not done the brownie would be, as Edward put it, liable to vanish as everything else belonging to their own time always did, except their clothes. I can't explain to you, just now, how it was that their clothes didn't vanish. It would take too long. But it was all part of the magic of white feathers, which are, as you know, the clothes of white pigeons. And now a very odd thing happened. As Edward put on his second shoe, which was the last touch to their united toilets, the wall seemed to tremble and shake and go crooked like a house of cards at the very instant before it topples down. The floor slanted to that degree that standing on it was so difficult as to be at last impossible. The rafters all seemed to get crooked and mixed, like a box of matches when you spill them on the floor. The tight roof that showed blue daylight through seemed to spin like a top, and you could not tell at all which way up you were. All this happened with dreadful suddenness, but almost as soon as it had begun it stopped with a jerk like that of a clockwork engine that has gone wrong. And the attic was gone, and the chests, and the blue chink tiles of the roof, and the walls and the rafters, and the room had shrunk to less than half its old size. And it was higher, 
and it was not an attic any more, but a round room with narrow windows, and just such a fireplace with a stone hood as the ones the children had seen when they looked down from the tops of the towers. You must have often heard of events that take people's breath away. This sudden change did really take away the breath of Edred and Elfrida, so that for a few moments they could only stare at each other, like I fox's mask, as Elfrida later said. "'I see,' said Edred, when breath enough for speech had returned to him. "'This is the place where the attic was after the tower fell to pieces.' "'But there isn't any attic, really,' said Elfrida. "'You know we can't find it if we get quarrelled, and Mrs. Honeyset doesn't ever find it. It isn't anywhere.' "'Yes, it is,' said Edred. "'We couldn't find it if it wasn't.' "'Well,' said Elfrida gloomily, "'I only hope we may find it, that's all.' I suppose we may as well go out. It's no use sticking in this horrid little room. Her hand was on the door, but even as she fumbled with the latch, which was of iron and of a shape to which she was wholly unaccustomed, something else happened, even more disconcerting than the turnover change in which the attic and the chests had disappeared. It is very difficult to describe. Perhaps you happen to dislike travelling in trains with your back to the engine. If you do dislike it, you dislike it very much indeed. It makes your head ache and gives you a queer feeling at the back of your neck, and makes you turn so pale that the grown-up people with whom you are travelling will ask you what is the matter, and sometimes heartlessly insist that the buns you had at the junction or the chocolate creams pressed into your hand at the parting hour by Uncle Fred or Aunt Imogen are the cause of your sufferings. The worst feeling of all is that terrible sensation as though your heart and lungs and the front part of your waistcoat were being drawn slowly but surely through your backbone, ever shaking a very long way off. The sensations which now held Edred and Elfrida were exactly like those which, if you don't like travelling backwards, you know only too well, and the sensations were so acute that both children shut their eyes. The whirling feeling and the withdrawing waistcoat feeling and the headache and the back-of-the-neck feeling stopped as suddenly as they had begun, and the two children opened their eyes in a room which Edward at least had never seen before. To Elfrida it seemed strange yet familiar. The shape of the room, the position of doors and windows, the mantelpiece with its curious carvings, these she knew, and some of the furniture too. Yet the room seemed bare, barer than it should have been. But why should it look bare, barer than it should have been, unless she knew how much less bare it once was, unless, in fact, she had seen it before. "'Oh, I know!' she cried, standing in her stiff skirts and heavy shoes in the middle of the room. "'I know. This is Lord Arden's townhouse. This is where I was with Cousin Betty. Only there aren't such nice chairs and things, and it was full of people then.' Edred remained silent, his mouth half open and his eyes half shut, in a sort of trance of astonishment. This was very different from the last adventure in which he had taken part, for then he had only gone to the house in Arden Castle, as it was in Boney's time, and he had gone to it by the simple means of walking down a staircase with which he was already familiar. But now he had been transported, in a most violent and unpleasing manner, not only from his own times to times much earlier, but also from Arden Castle, which he knew, to Arden House, which he did not know. So he was silent and when he did speak it was with discontent, verging on disgust. "'I don't like it,' he began. "'Let's go back. I don't like it. And we didn't take the photograph. 
and I don't like it, and my clothes are horrid. I feel something between a balloon and a blue-coat boy, and you've no idea how silly you look, like Mrs. Noah out of the Ark, only Tubby, and I don't know who we are supposed to be, and I don't suppose this is Arden House, and if it is, you don't know when. Suppose it's Inquisition times, and they put us on the stake. Let's go back. I don't like it, he ended. Now you just listen, said Elfrida, knitting her brows under the queer cap she wore. I know inside me what I mean, but you won't unless you jolly well attend. Fire ahead. Well then, even if it was Inquisition times, it would be all right, for us. How do you know? I don't know how I know, but I know I do know, said Elfrida firmly. You see, I've been here before. It's not real, you see. It is said Edred, kicking the leg of the table. Yes, of course, but look here. You remember the water shoot at Earl's Court, and you were so frightened. I wasn't. Yes, you were, and I didn't half like it myself. I wished we hadn't, rather. And when it started, and we knew we'd got to go on with it. Oh, horrible! And when it was over, we wanted to go again, and we did, and it's been so jolly to remember. This is like that, see? I don't, said Edred. Understand a single word you say. This isn't a bit like the water shoot or anything. Now is it? Elfrida frowned. Afterwards she was glad that she had done no more than frown. It is dangerous, as you know, to crawl in a boat, but far more dangerous to crawl in a century that is not your own. She frowned and opened her mouth. And just as her mouth opened, the door of the room followed its example, and a short, dark, cross-looking woman in a brown skirt and strange cap came hurrying in. "'So it's here you've hidden yourselves,' she cried, "'and I looking high and low to change your dress.' "'What for?' said Edred, for it was his arm which he had quite ungently caught. "'For what?' she said, as she dragged him out of the room. "'Why, to tend my lord your father and your lady mother at the mask at Whitehall. Had you forgot already?' And thou so desirous to tend them, in their new white velvet, broidered with the orange tawny, and their lady mother's diamond buckles, and the silken cloak, and the shoe roses, and the copper blonde starched ruff, and the little sword and all. End of section 10. Recording by Sonia.